What is up? You're listening to the 3 and D podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lewis. You can find our podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Network of Podcasts, anywhere that you download and subscribe to your podcast. Uh, make sure you check out our other podcasts on the network, GBB Live, The Long View, Starting 5, and The Core 4. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Ben Hogan. Ben, you awake? I am awake. I am awake. How are you doing? I'm awake. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm hanging in there. Um, we have a an episode that we've been we've been waiting on. Schedules have been tight, been tough to to work with. Um, we got a another coach on the on the call with us tonight. My season just ended uh, this past Monday a week ago. Uh, but joining us is the associate head coach at the University of Stanford, um, Adam Cohen. What's up, man? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to doing this. And uh, I know I've been trying to get together here for a couple months, but I'm glad we could find a time that works. Yeah, I appreciate it. We're, we're glad to have you. Um, you're you're the type of guest that we work around. Uh, you're scheduled to make sure that we get you on. So it's, it's not a big deal. Well, I'll uh, hopefully it's worth your time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we talk uh, anything that I want to to hit on in, in regards to the Grizzlies, I got a question to ask you, and there's a reason behind it. What is the toughest end to a season that you've experienced as a coach? Toughest end? Yes. The toughest way your season's ended. Man. Um, I've had some hard ones. You know, when I was an assistant coach at Harvard, we had a great year. We won the Ivy League. Um, we go to the NCAA tournament. We beat Cincinnati in the first round. I think it was like a 5-12 game. We were the 12 or maybe the 13, maybe then 13. And so we go to the second round, we play Michigan State to go to the Sweet 16. And uh, we play a great game. We have the first lead of the game with about a minute 40 left against Michigan State to go to the Sweet 16. Harvard's never been in the Sweet 16. Hit a big-time corner three. Laurent Rivard is our great three-point shooter. Uh, with roughly a minute 40 left to take the lead by one. And, you know, at that point, all the dreams are all available, right? You think you had a chance to truly go to the Sweet 16, get get a little run. Once you get there, anything can happen, as we know. And uh, Michigan State comes down, scores the next play. Uh, we get fouled. We miss two free throws, and that was kind of it. But just how close you are to doing something that's never been done and then having it end, you know, one possession later is always hard. But that was that was a great moment that I was a part of and part of a great team and uh, just a tough ending, but still an incredible year. Yeah, so I just wrapped up uh, my first season as the assistant varsity coach for girls here uh, in Memphis at Carrieville High School. And we were playing a bitter rival uh, in an elimination game in the playoffs. Uh, they had won our district championship. And uh, this was a chance to play for the regional championship and move on to sub-state. And uh, we trailed the whole game. We're down 10 most of the game. Uh, they kind of just punked us early, and uh, we fought back. And uh, one of our seniors gets fouled uh, with 3.1 seconds to go, and it's a tie game at this point. And they call it on the floor and not a shooting foul, and she misses the front end of a one-and-one, -and, -one. Um, and we go to overtime. So then we go down three or four in overtime. Uh, and then the same senior goes to the line, game tied again, four seconds to go. She knocks them both down. So, like, here we are sitting here. Our emotions are like, hey, we're headed. We're moving on. Like, 
We're going to go play for the regional championship. We're moving on to sub-state no matter what. They inbound the ball. Girl dribbles past a couple players, throws one up, knocks it down. We lose by one. Just miserable. Coaching is very difficult, man. It's uh, people have no idea. I'll I'll tell you, like, you got to really enjoy those good times because those good times that come, they keep bringing you back. And the hard times you got to learn from and, you know, teach the lessons that you want to teach your players along the way. Yeah, I think uh, the hard part right now is figuring out how to get past the disbelief and the fact that it's it's actually over and those seniors are moving on. We have six seniors that, that are graduating us and um, getting ready for next year. Just that transition period is kind of weird. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I, I know it very much so. And, and you're just going to be counting down the days till you can get back out there with them. Yeah, no doubt for sure. All right, so obviously Grizz fans are going to know why we're talking to a coach from the University of Stanford. Our rookie, Zaire Williams, taken 10th overall by the Grizzlies after trading um, up to get him. The first question I want to ask you is, what kind of kid did the Grizzlies get in Zaire Williams? Well, Zaire, um, known for a long time. Uh, We recruited him since his freshman year of high school. Um, So known as family as an only child from down in Southern California, um, suburb of Los Angeles. Uh, And he is a high character individual who is going to do the right thing on the court and off the court. Um, you're never going to have to worry about him. He's going to be a great member of the community. He's going to be a hard worker. He's going to want to get better and just want to be a part of a great culture that obviously is being developed there in Memphis. And uh, he's the type of person that you want around your team. You want around your families and you want him in the community because he's going to grow um, and that team's going to grow with him and he's going to be a great part of it. Yeah. It- and it seems like the Grizzlies are really intentional about the kind of people they bring in, the kind of players they bring in. And uh, he seems to fit perfectly uh, for what they look for. So it, it makes sense that they would move up to go get him, even though, I mean, in some mocks, he was projected to possibly go to where they originally were slotted. Uh, I think at 17, but I, I think they didn't want to have the chance of, of him slipping. Now, if you're a, uh, I guess, a a casual basketball fan and you go to look up Zaire Williams and you go to sportsreference.com and you see his his stat lines and his box score stuff from from Stanford, they're not they're not pretty. They don't wow you. They don't uh, jump off the page. But you guys had a really, really tough and weird year last year. Kind of, kind of talk about what you guys went through, what Zaire went through uh, his freshman year, and just how difficult and really an anomaly it, it is for basketball. Yeah, it was it was one of hopefully once in a lifetime. Um, it was wild, and I, I really felt for our guys. And we had a really talented team. You know, we had a team of um, multiple All Pac-12 type players. Um, Zaire was the highest ranked recruit we've ever had come in. And, you know, it, it was just a unique situation where we thought we could really bring a young guy along with some older guys and have a great situation. Unfortunately, COVID um, put us all in a bad spot where we ended up leaving. We first off, we didn't have our players here in the summer prior to Zaire's freshman year, which every other school in the country, especially not in California, but every other school on the East Coast, Midwest had their players there working out and being able to train strength wise on the court, play the whole deal. Our players didn't get to us till September 15th. And when they got here, they couldn't be in a gym. We had to practice and shoot on outdoor courts, um, which obviously we weren't going to play on those courts we were just going to do some shooting drills and 
you had the wind pass moving the ball along and we we're just very limited in terms of what we could do um due to our county and school restrictions so it that's how we started um we were able to get in a gym for the first time the first day of practice on october 15th um and we couldn't even be in our gym though we were practicing at a local high school or a random gym we could find or occasionally a local college that was uh, a few miles away that was outside of our county so all of the 24 access that most players have, we did not have that uh, to start the year. And then we go off and we play uh, in the Maui Invitational, which is located in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, uh, upon uh, arriving on the way there, we find out that we can't come back to our county. Otherwise, we'd have to quarantine for two weeks based on our county's protocols. So we're in Asheville. We beat Alabama, who had a great year in the first round lose a heartbreaker in North Carolina in the second round. And we're trying to figure out where we go next. And so we ended up going to Chapel Hill for a couple of weeks. We practiced out of University of North Carolina. We added a game against North Carolina A&T on the road. Just we happened to be able to do that. Um, and then we flew up back out to Los Angeles. We're supposed to play USC. They had a COVID pause, so that got canceled. And from there, we weren't able to go back to campus um, at Stanford until Christmas and our guys couldn't go home. They couldn't see their families because otherwise it would have been a two week quarantine. We stayed in Santa Cruz, California, which is about an hour from Stanford's campus in a hotel. Um, and we couldn't even be on campus. We didn't have gym access other than about an hour a day at a high school to practice. Um, so it was bizarre to say the least. And, you know, it, I think it took a toll on our guys. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get the opportunity to develop them the way that I think we're capable of developing them. And um, we made the best of the situation. We were able to get through the year. Um, but I think for Zaire being a young guy, not being able to uh, spend as much time as he usually did in, in the gym, the weight room, uh, treatment, the whole deal, it, it wasn't great for his development. Um, while at the same time, he made the best of the situation and did what he could. And obviously now he's, he's in a great situation. He's able to really succeed. Well, speaking of Zaire's development, like it feels like, you know, the beginning of the season, he was kind of getting a feel of the way the NBA game is going, but he's caught on really quick. I mean, are you surprised that he caught, he's caught on that quick or were you kind of expecting that? Yeah. So, you know, Zaire, one of the question marks was his strength and his body because he's physically not that strong. However, his IQ is really high and he's put in a perfect position. Like he's, he is not a guy on that team that has to go make plays for, for everybody else, you know, he has Ja and other guys to be able to do that for him. And he can kind of just fill his role and figure it out from there. So in a lot of ways, I, I'm not too surprised because his IQ is really high and he's in a role where he can succeed. If he was asked to do more things early on as a rookie, he probably wouldn't have the same success he's having right now, um, which he'll develop into as his you know game continues to evolve. But like for right now, he's in a position where he's able to succeed and be a great part of his team. So when you when you guys were recruiting him, um, obviously there's there's particular things that y'all y'all look for. Uh, what what stood out number one for y'all to bring him in, and then number two, like what what was your vision for what type of player he was going to end up being? Yeah, so um, he was always a guy with elite potential. Uh, he was not physically strong, but he could really handle the ball, pass six eight, shoot the ball off the bounce. Um, we played him at multiple positions, probably too many with thinking back, like he played three or four positions for us. He guarded the other team's point guards. Um, he would look, there's not very many players that have his athletic ability, talent, 
that also academically are a 4.0 student and can do extremely well to get into Stanford um, and be able to have success here as well, because he left here as a great student too. So um, that we had to check all those boxes. His physical upside and potential though was elite at all levels, knowing that he still had a lot of room for growth. Yeah, so his his build, his frame, um, the 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 fluidity in his game, um, it almost you, you see a little hint of some Brandon Ingram type comps for a for a ceiling. Um, do you think that there is that much potential in him all around, or even more? Yeah, so that was one guy we talked about when we were recruiting him. And we saw that because of his ball handling ability with his size and length and just the skill level, right? He's so unselfish too. That's something like he's the ultimate team guy. He really doesn't care about taking shots. He wants to just fill his role and do what he has to do. Uh, I do like, you know, the, the interesting part is on the Grizzlies team, it's just how their team continues to evolve with him in it, right? Like the ball is going to be in Jaw's hands a lot for good reason. And Jaw makes everybody better. Uh, and for Zaire, like to have that kind of point guard to play with as a rookie is such a unique, cool opportunity where he can just slowly develop his game into something. Maybe it's Brandon Ingram like, but maybe it's something different. And because he's an incredible passer too, um, they, some of the things that really stood out where he could really pass at six eight, he could really guard smaller guards and move his feet. We knew those things would translate, and then it's just from there. You know, how can his body play fit in the NBA game? How can he take the pounding of 82 games and all that kind of stuff? And coach, uh, I'm, I'm moving off from Zaire here for, for a minute. Um, I know it's a busy time for you right now because we're in March and you have some things coming up uh, this week. How do you you have the Pac-12 tournament? How do you prepare? Do you take it game by game basis? Or are you kind of like looking at who the potential matchups could be down the line, or are you just taking it one game at a time? Because that's always – I've always wondered exactly how to plan for a tournament like this. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one game at a time. For us, fortunately, we play Arizona State on Wednesday, who we just played this past Saturday. Um, and then if we win, we play Arizona, who we just played this past Thursday. So we kind of have a good feel for our first two games. Um, and – you know, we have to get by the first one to play the second one, right? So right. Um, our focus is going to be on how we can improve from our game on Saturday, knowing what adjustments we can make, knowing what we think they can do. And then also, you know, I think part of our staff is really focused on that. And then other parts of our staff are focused on getting ready for the quick turnaround of Arizona would be the next day. So um, I think it's it's nonstop. And it's we're our team is a really young team this year. We have basically one senior that's playing any minutes and we have roughly one junior that's playing any minutes, which in college basketball is very, very unique with the transfer game and everything else. So um, we have a good group. They're fun to coach and hopefully can go on a little run here. Yeah. So as a coach, I'm going to ask you what's your favorite part of doing what you do? Yeah, it's truly being a part of a team um, and helping guys achieve their dreams. And I know that sounds a little cliche, um, but when we saw Zaire get picked number 10, like there's nothing better, right. And as a coach, cause if you had anything, just a little piece to do with that and a kid is better off from when he, when you first got him, that's pretty darn cool. Um, and being a part of a group where we're all trying to reach the same goal. And I know that also sounds cliche, but for us, it's like, 
you know what, we're going to find a way to do it together. I love getting input from our guys and being able to work together with them to see them improve and then see our group improve. Yeah, it, it's definitely a cool feeling. Like for me, uh, DJ Jeffries, who yeah. committed to Memphis and then now he's in Mississippi State. Um, I was at Olive Branch High School when he was there. Okay. And I, like, I could just be like, hey, I know that guy. Like I was, a, I'm a part of his story a little bit. Like it's, it's, it's definitely a cool feeling. And um, it, I don't think it's cliche, even though, you know, a lot of coaches may say it, but like it's, if you're not in into coaching for that part of it, then you shouldn't be in, in coaching. Cause I don't think right. many yep. coaches are going to be successful if all they care about are the W's and, and not about the players that they have playing for them. No, it's, it's always good. I well said, and it's always about the players, man. And I tell our guys all the time, like the job of as a coach is to help the players. That's it. Like, we don't need to make this thing more than it is. It's to help the players become better versions of themselves due to your influence and your work with them. And as long as your players know you're trying to come up with solutions to get them better, they're going to be in a pretty good spot. So one last question for you before we let you go. Sure. If you could tell Grizzlies, Grizzlies fans anything about Zaire Williams, what would you tell them? Well, I'll, I'll give you a couple things. Number one, he loves the jet ski. Yeah, it's okay. like his, that's his, uh, that's his deal. <laughs> and due to COVID, I always told him we'd go jet skiing and we never got a chance, which hopefully we get uh, a rain check on that. We're able to do that, but um, he just loves to jet ski, you know, different times of the year. The second thing is just like, you got to know who you're getting and who you have. You have a guy that is unbelievably team first, incredibly loyal, incredibly loyal, um, you know, we were the first school to recruit him. And I think that had a lot to do with why he decided to come to Stanford. Um, and you have a kid that like is all of, has a great positive energy and is going to bring his best every day. May not be perfect, but he's going to try his best. He went through a year with us that none of us expected. And at the end of the day, he was very loyal to us and got, he did whatever he could to be the best he could. And um, we all wish that we could have had a different experience with him where it was normal and, you know, really could have helped him even develop more, but we're so happy for him. Um, he always has a place here and hopefully he comes back one day, finishes degree. Uh, and in the meantime, like we're, we're his biggest fans. We would watch as many Grizzlies games as we can, obviously so exciting to watch that team play and continue to grow and just glad that he's a part of it and has a big role. That's uh, that's good stuff. I'm gonna have to see if I can't find a way to talk to him about the jet skiing. Yeah, he loves it, man. He loves it. <laughs> that's that is random. That's that's a good fun fact to have. I don't know if there's anywhere in Memphis he can do that, but he'll find somewhere. <laughs> we we got some lakes around here that he could go All hop right. on. All right, there um, you go, <laughs> Coach. I know you got uh, a lot on your plate going forward. We appreciate you taking the time, um, and we'll we'll be pulling for you guys in the in the tournament. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. If you need anything else, feel free to reach out anytime and. Uh, Congrats. Good luck with everything. Congrats with everything. It's really fun to do this. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. See you guys. See you. See you. Well, um, I would have never pegged Zaire Williams to be a jet ski guy. Um, yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know, know what a jet ski guy is, but I wouldn't say Zaire Williams <laughs> yeah. is a jet ski you know. No. You know, and I don't even know if that's a nugget that Jessica Benson got on, uh, on Grizz Files. No, I don't, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I listen to him usually when she does them because I'm I'm there at the game listening to him, and I don't think that that was that came across. I, 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 
that seems like that'd be something that sticks out to me. Yeah, we we pulled a nugget that uh, that Zaire didn't even give himself, so that's uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, we've been trying to connect with Coach Cohen for a while. Um, glad that we could have him on. That was that was some good stuff. Uh, really interesting to hear what they went through. Uh, Zaire's freshman year there, uh, just how much of an anomaly it really is having to practice on outdoor outdoor courts, couldn't go home, couldn't see family. Um, of course, the kid's going to struggle on the court yeah. uh, when you can't be in the gym as much as you normally have been or want to be. Um, and good for the Grizzlies for seeing past that um, because I think they've got a, a real talent uh, in Zaire who continues to grow. Um, ben, I want, I want to talk about something from the Houston game. Okay, I, I, Do we have to talk about the Houston game at all? We're going to talk about something from the Houston game. We don't, we don't necessarily talk about the Houston game, but it's, it's a problem <laughs> that Taylor Jenkins seems to have. And that is being so overly cautious with fouls. I just had a piece come out at basketballnews.com tonight um, about the, the myth that is protecting players from foul trouble. And the theory behind this is if I pull my player out at a certain foul count at a certain time in the game that protects them from getting an, an extra foul or potentially fouling out, and therefore I then have them at the end of the game when it matters. But sometimes the end of the game isn't what matters. It's those moments in the early of the fourth quarter or the end of the third quarter where a team may go on a run when it matters. And so last night, Jaron Jackson Jr. picked up his fifth foul uh, just two minutes into the fourth quarter, Coach Jenkins immediately pulls him for Kyle Anderson, which he did to him in the third quarter as well when he picked up his fourth, and he never saw the floor again. One of the best protectors of the paint in the NBA, one of the best rim protectors in the NBA, is pulled out of the game because they're scared of him picking up a sixth foul. And in that moment, those remaining nine minutes, I must say, the Houston Rockets scored 14 points in the paint to go on to an 11-point victory, and Jaron Jackson Jr. never as much sniffed the floor going back in. So I present to you Pascal Siakam against the Brooklyn Nets. He picks up his fifth foul with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, similar to Jaron, but they're down eight. So Nick Nurse makes the decision to leave Pascal Siakam in the game then the Raptors go on this incredible run and they are down or they become, they're up four when Pascal Siakam fouls out at two minutes and 40 seconds left in the game. Okay. So yes, he fouled out. He wasn't there for the final two minutes of the game, but the flow of the game dictated that while the, the Raptors were down eight when he picked up the fifth foul, Nurse felt like he could not take Siakam out of the game. He left him in. They made the run, and they ended up winning the game against the Nets. Then I present to you LaMelo Ball against the Grizzlies. Ben, do you remember that game when the, the Grizzlies were up against the Hornets 30-plus, and then he got real close down the stretch? Yes. Do you remember that LaMelo Ball picked up his fifth foul in the third quarter? No. So he picked up his foul halfway through the third quarter. He was subbed out in favor of P.J. Washington. They slid uh, Rozier over to the point. 
And so at that point, at five fouls, if you're Taylor Jenkins, you're probably sitting Jaw or Jaron until halfway through the fourth quarter at least, if not the final four minutes. Borrego starts LaMelo Ball in the fourth quarter with five fouls. Okay, and it, it may be one of those deals where the score being what it was, like, hey, might as well go for it. You know, if he fouls out, we're getting our butts kicked anyways. So what? LaMelo Ball plays the entire fourth quarter, all 12 minutes, and does not foul out. In a game where garbage time was not there, they were fighting and clawing their way back into that game, meaning he was playing aggressively and still did not pick up that sixth foul and turned a 33-point deficit, which is what the deficit was when he picked up his fourth foul, to a seven-point loss, which I think it might have been closer than seven at one point in the game. So... My point is, Coach Jenkins lost the game against the Houston Rockets by leaving their best defender on the bench. What says you? I think if there's a trust factor there, um, let's be honest, Jaron hasn't gained the trust, I don't think. Um, he picks up bad fouls. And I feel like that that's the thing. I mean, at the end of the day, like if he's not going to be in down the stretch, why not just let him get in there and get his sixth foul if he's going to get it? Um, I understand both sides of the coin. And I was hoping when you said you were working on this piece, I was like, man, I can be myth buster here, you know, just like, <laughs> or just, you know, I know you're, you're doing, you're doing your own myth busting, but I was going to see if I could figure out uh, to me, I, I'll, I've always thought like you want to have your best guys to close. So I kind of understand the point out of players when they pick up their fourth or fifth foul or maybe their third foul halfway through the second quarter. But the the stats that you presented, it's like, well, you know, you kind of got to leave it up to the player. But at the end of the day, I think it's a trust thing when it comes to Jaron Jackson Jr. Because he, he collects fouls. Like if he gets his fourth, he's picking up his fifth really quick. I mean, him and Dylan Cluster Brooks. Cluster fouls. Yeah. Yeah. Him and Dylan Brooks are the same, both of them. Like, Dylan will pick up a charge on one end, get frustrated, and pick up a, a dumb foul on the other end. I mean, we've seen it multiple times. And Jaron Jackson, I don't know if it's just because they're so emotional when they play that they kind of get frustrated or, you know, they feel like they didn't foul, and then all of a sudden they pick up a dumb foul. And that happens. And uh, that, that happens with both of them. I think that's kind of the situation that Taylor Jenkins is in, is like, I don't trust him to not foul. And that's a legit – that is a legit thing, I think. Yeah, and and I, I I get the point that you made, too, that you want your best five in the game at, at the end of the, you know, the game, the clutch time, the final two minutes. But if if the game gets away from you because you took him out of the game, it don't matter what's, what's going on in the final two minutes. Like, it felt like in the moment that you took Jaron out, the game was starting to slip away from you, and you let it get away from you all the way because – Nobody's getting any stops, and there was no help on the back. I think, like, we overlook and overvalue the importance of what Mark Gasol was on the back end defensively, of what Jaron Jackson Jr. has been on the back end defensively this year, of our perimeter guys have the opportunity to be a little bit more aggressive because they know they have a dude that's going to erase everything on the back end back there, right? So yeah. it, it just seems wild to me that – a team that at that point had 38 points in the paint. We're not going to keep the one chance that we have in. And if he fouls out, he fouls out. Like the Pascal Siakam example, he he ended up fouling out. But he led them on a on a run that put them – like a, a basically a 12-0 run. 
and they were up four when he fouled out, and they ended up winning the game by one. So his team was able to hang on to the lead when he fouled out those final two minutes. But then there's a chance that he doesn't foul out, and he makes a difference in the game. But you'll never know because you just – you fouled him out is what you did. You basically said you fouled out of the game. Now, Jaron has 17 games this year of five fouls. That is insane. Second most in the league in total fouls. So I went and looked. Carl Anthony Towns is like third in the NBA in total fouls, but he doesn't cluster foul. Giannis Antetokounmpo is 12th in the in the league in, in total fouls, but he doesn't cluster foul. He doesn't do this thing where he picks up his second and third within a minute of each other. They don't do these things where they pick up the fourth and fifth at the beginning of the fourth or end of the third where you put you handcuff your coach into making some type of decision like this that if he leaves him in and he fouls out, oh, it was the wrong choice. He takes him out and he doesn't and doesn't come back in, oh, he made the wrong choice. While so Jaron puts him in an impossible position, Jenkins has to has to do something different because he tends to do this a lot and it tends to not work out. Yeah, and it, I think it feels like that Jaron's been like he's kind of bookended his season that way. Like he started off the season doing this, and then since the All Star break a little bit before, he started to get into foul trouble again because there were stretches in which. You know, he had that stretch in which he had multiple blocks and I forgot, maybe 11, 12 games, and he wasn't getting in foul trouble in those games. All of a sudden, he's getting in foul trouble again, and he's not getting as many blocks. I mean, he's still having games where he has getting two, three, multiple blocks in a game, but it just doesn't seem as many, and he's getting into more foul trouble. And I think that has a little bit to do with his offensive struggles. It's because he's a rhythm guy. He can't get into rhythm. He can't, he can't get a feel for – how to work down low against some of the other guys that he's, he's going against because some of these guys he's going against for the first time in his career. And he doesn't know how to play against them until he actually gets down there. He's not getting many minutes to work. He's not getting in rhythm. He's not getting comfortable with the game. He's getting foul trouble. And I think that's also taking him out of the offensive flow of the game in which his, you've seen his points drop recently as well. Yeah, and I think you're right about the frustration part is I think some a lot of times you see John Jaron do this a lot, throw their hands up when they don't get a call at the rim. And I think Jaron, more so than Jaw at times, just gets so frustrated. He, let's, let's be honest, he gets hammered. And for most of his career, he's gotten the raw deal on the whistle. So I think when he gets so frustrated that he's not getting a call down there, he tries to overcompensate on the other end and, and goes for an attempt that he, he shouldn't have. But I, I'm going to take it to something – do you recall what Jaron said has made the difference for him when it comes to blocking shots, his approach to it? No. So, so he said that he has changed his timing to when the ball just leaves their hand. Instead of trying to block it while it's still in their hand, he is waiting until the second it leaves their hand and then he's going for it. So that way he's not making contact with the hand as much as possible. Ben, that takes an intense amount of focus to be able to time yeah. something like that. So from – I think it was very obvious in the Houston game last night, our guys were not locked in. I think they walked in there, got a 10-point lead, and were like, we're just going to roll tonight. And the focus just wasn't there. And from people inside the arena, they would agree, right? Yeah. So – it makes sense maybe why he was in a little bit of foul trouble last night because he just wasn't locked in and didn't have that kind of intense focus that something like that takes. Um, but if we're going anywhere this year, outside of the three-point shooting from him, 
he has to stay out of foul trouble because this defense gets ugly fast without him. And that's with Dylan Brooks. If Jaron Jackson Jr. is not on the back end because he's in foul trouble, it does not matter that Dylan Brooks is on the floor playing defense because the numbers have shown it is bad, bad without him. And it's had been really great with them. I mean, at, at times, you know, and he's just been the one that you, I put in my uh, report card for Grizzly Bear Blues. Like, he didn't have a great game offensively uh, against Orlando, but he was kind of a, a tone setter on defense. And if he can, if that's what he's giving you, I'm fine with it as a tone setter on defense because they need somebody there. You can't really rely on Dylan Brooks to be that guy. No. Um, and then down the stretch, you know that Steven Adams is going to be uh, probably used less and less, uh, especially in the playoffs when you run into these teams and uh, they can hit these. Like if, you, if you run into a Phoenix in the second round, um, you know, Golden State doesn't do too many of the mid-range pull-ups, so the drop coverage there. But you can't drop coverage on, on Steph Curry with a screen. You've got, you got to hedge, full-on hedge those screens. Uh, but matchup dependence, you know, Jackson got to play a lot of minutes at the five and Brandon Clark's going to have to be out there. Um, it's I, how confident are you about this team winning the first round series? We talked about it through text today, but I, I'm, I'm pretty I, confident. I said it, it, it comes down to matchup, but I, I think that they can they can win four games before they lose four games. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll, we'll certainly see. <laughs> we'll certainly see. Uh, I'm I'm scared of the of the Timberwolves. They they just seem like a, a matchup nightmare uh, for the Grizzlies. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, come on with the Clippers. Um, I know the Lakers suck, but for some reason, I'm still scared that LeBron is LeBron, and it that just it just still uh, it's just still scary with the Lakers, even though they've given no reason <laughs> to be scared of them. The Pelicans right. could be scary. Um, I don't see them finding a way to get to the seven seed though, um, and we're certainly not going to get to the one seed like I thought well, we might. I mean- they can get the seven, right? They can they can get the well. I guess they would have to get at least eight. They had to get to the eight, seven. yeah. So maybe it. I mean, they're going to be. I mean, I think the Pelicans might. Pelicans picked up a freaking Grizz killer and CJ McCollum. So, and the and the Pelicans are already Grizz killers on their own, and they just freaking yeah. added one. So, <laughs> I don't. I'm not expecting big things tomorrow on national TV because it seems like. We uh we don't do so well on national TV on top of playing a, a Grizz killer team so um I I don't I don't know um no. what, what do you think is going to happen uh, I guess when you're listening to this podcast what do you think is going to happen tonight on national television against the Pelicans don't don't be a homer and just say Grizzlies are going to win because you're a Grizzlies fan no I know it's uh it's. I want to say that I think the Grizzlies are going to win, and I know it's just me being a homer, and uh, but still, it's like I don't know. I think I think the Grizzlies are going to win because they they handled the Pelicans the last time. I know McCollum's a, a Grizz killer. I understand all that, but I think the Grizzlies understand that you know they're usually good about if they gave a game away, they usually pick up one, and I kind of feel like that they're not going to come in and make the same mistake they made Sunday. Yeah, well, they're definitely going to overlook the Pelicans, and I'm thinking that Jaws probably going to have a chip on his shoulder, probably a double chip, honestly, because of the, the way they played on national TV last week on top of dropping this one to Houston. Um, I'd imagine 
we could see the franchise record in points possibly set again. Because, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, who on New Orleans is going to guard Ja? You going to put Herb Jones on him? Because Herb Jones no. is going to need to guard Jaron Jackson because Valanciunas sure can't do it. Um, the good news is they don't have anybody that can stop, like clog up the lanes like Boston. No. Brandon Ingram has his moments defensively, but C.J. McCollum isn't doing anything. Devontae Graham ain't doing nothing. I mean, I, defensively, I'm not I'm not worried about the Grizzlies being able to score. I'm just worried about Ingram and McCollum lighting us up. Yeah. So. And Jonas will have a uh, chip on his shoulder as well. Steven I Adams. Think. Steven Adams is the GOAT. <laughs> <laughs> that has worked out so well for me this year. I, I am so happy about that. He has been – uh he's been more than i thought he would be i'll, I'll yeah. say that i was surprised too i was just like oh well you know even at the beginning of the season i'm like well maybe he won't start maybe he'll come off the bench because maybe they'll go jaron at the five and steven adams was just kind of like included in that trade to be included type deal but he's been a pleasant surprise i'll say that yes he has and he fits the culture of that locker room really well too so Kudos to Zach Kleiman, again, who should be executive of the year. Um, Anyways. Grizzlies should be picking up some hardware in the the, uh, postseason, but I don't know how much they're going to get. Like, they're on the cusp of winning a lot, but I don't know if this year is the year for that quite yet. I think you'll see their name second and third place a lot on some stuff. I think we'll have, you know, Jaws going to make all NBA. Jaron should make all defense, you know, probably second team. Um, we'll, we'll have some good accolades uh, to be I think proud Jenkins of. Jenkins will probably be top three. Yeah, Monty Williams is going to win Coach of the Year. They're going to make up for Thibodeau well, last yeah, year. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they have far and away the best record, and they're not going to get caught. So, you know, he deserves it. Well, Ben, this is my final episode of the 3 and D podcast as the host. Okay. okay. Um, I am uh, – moving on uh to a to a new project um and uh i guess turning it over to you for the remainder of the season um and uh it's been a been a heck of a ride uh i want to shout out sean coleman uh for taking me on as his little project uh i guess (laughs) i guess it was two years ago uh about this time when sean kind of brought me under his wing and uh, I mean I remember being nervous and I, and I talked so fast and um it was it was a, a cool experience to uh be yeah, talk like Sean <laughs> I ain't talking like that <laughs> um I, I still don't listen to myself on podcasts like I, I don't go back and listen to our show unless we have like a really really good guest and I want to hear it again but like I don't want to listen to myself talk um so I, I don't I did radio yeah. for 10 years and I don't like hearing myself talk. Right. Um, I want to thank Parker. Uh, he brought me on the first podcast I ever did uh, at his house with Connor Dunning and, and Brandon Abraham. And I, I remember just my leg, which is shaking hundred miles an hour. I was, I was nervous for a, a little, a fan podcast <laughs> about the Grizzlies that maybe get 150 listens at the time, but Parker's <laughs> done a great job with the, uh, the podcast network at Grizzly Bear Blues. And then of course, uh, I want to thank, you know, Joe Molinax, the the site manager for trusting me to do this because um, the original plan was for me to get a co-host right after Sean walked away. Um, but he allowed me to put in the work that I did and I, and I got the guest 
Um, and I've had some awesome guests come on. Jonathan Charks from The Ringer. Uh, you've got us, uh, Bobby Marks from ESPN uh, on here. Uh, we've had a couple coaches come on with us. It's been it's been a fun time, uh, but I am expanding uh, my my podcasting network to cover the NBA as a whole. Um, and so it's it's just kind of time for me to go into a new deal. Um, and I have definitely you you have made this worthwhile this this past year or so. So I, I appreciate you, my friend. I appreciate that. Congratulations. And honestly, I feel like sometimes I'm uh, more work than it's worth because like my schedule and all that stuff. And it's like my schedule has been changing pretty much like this whole year. I, you know, a year ago I was working regular, normal, like nine to five type job. uh, And then Fox put me down in the mornings and started working at 5 a.m. And then now it's at 3 a.m. And it's just like, you've been, You've, you've helped me out a lot, like being flexible on days and especially with the uh, the Grizzlies schedule, seemingly put every game, every Monday they have a game. So luckily they don't have one today, but it's because they're on national TV tomorrow, which is a good thing. But, you know, those Monday games kind of throw a wrench in our recording plans. So I appreciate that. And, you know, good luck. You're moving on up. Oh, well. <laughs> I am I'm I'm moving on. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm I'm going too far up, but um it's 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 easier to be flexible with you when uh I mean you you've been flexible as well. I mean we both uh you know had our first child around the same time. Um uh, so we've kind of going through similar stages of life at, you know together and you know my schedule, you know I'm working the radio games as well um here and there and then I'm coaching as well, so it's it's been it's been a weird season here down the stretch. We haven't, we definitely haven't done this as much as we want. Um, but uh, I would imagine that this won't be the end of us podcasting together. We'll, uh, we'll definitely get together and, and continue to, to make this happen when we can. So anything you want to throw out there before we sign off? No, man. I, I again, congrats. Like, th- <laughs> thank you. I'm hearing this for the first time too. So it's <laughs> one of those kind of, Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. Like, <laughs> I, I, I thought I ran it by you. <laughs> I guess a little I bit, a little bit, a little bit. I didn't realize that this was it. So, yeah. Well, to everybody that's listened uh, for the past couple of years uh, with my crazy takes and um, all the wonderful guests that we've had, I appreciate you. Um, you have, this is a dream of mine since high school to be in sports media of some kind. And in, in a way, you've made that a reality for me because if you didn't listen, Joe would not have kept me on as a uh, podcast <laughs> host. So um, thank all of you who have listened as well. Uh, and shout out to my wife for putting up with this. Um, right now she's watching two kids while I talk about basketball. So uh, shout out to her. Shout out to, to Ann, your wife there, holding it down while you do it as well. Um, yeah. For the last time for me, this has been another episode of the 3ND pod. Uh, we will I guess, guess Ben will catch you next week <laughs> <laughs> are they playing next Monday no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> alright we'll see you guys